Hi, I'm Carl Medlock. Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. And I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. So far, the podcast is made, and just guess. I've guessed you guys made $682,351 on podcasts. Not bad. Uh, $203,318 is how much money. For someone outside of the YouTube thing, that was a pretty good guess. I'm going to expect more out of you this year. We'll Your do next it. goal is going to be six fifty. Six fifty. Right, let's do it. By the end of this year. Let's do yeah. it. All we need is for you guys to subscribe, hit the like button, comment down below for the algorithm. And uh, anyway, we got a really exciting episode today because this car behind me, I uh, may have done a thing, and uh, this is the newest addition to the uh, to family. Got the uh, 2010 Tesla Roadster, one of 26 in yellow. And how this all came to be is because I found you on both CNBC and the What's Inside channel as the original Tesla whisperer. You were the one who's keeping these cars alive. And you were also an integral part to the development of these cars and a lot of the early history with Tesla. So today we're going to be sharing some secrets about Elon Musk, Tesla, Tesla, and everything else you didn't know that you need to know. Is that a good intro? Uh-huh, I'm scared. <laughs> what, fun. What, yeah. number of, uh, what number of employee... Are you of Tesla? I would say I'm probably in the 300s. 300th employee of Tesla. Yeah, probably somewhere in the 300 range. So walk us through your story and how exactly you found yourself to that place. The quick version of the story is I was a car dealer here in Seattle, but when Tesla was looking for somebody to be their first employee outside of the California area, what they did was they were looking for a technician with master technician experience. They were looking for somebody who owned a business previously, and they were looking for somebody who had managed a dealership, and they were looking for somebody who had worked on high-end cars. Apparently, I was the only person in Seattle area that checked all those boxes on LinkedIn, and they contacted me and asked me if I wanted a job. I didn't know who they were. Kind of laughed. <laughs> Tesla, hold on while I Google you. And I typed on, I literally was Googling the guy as he was, ta- was talking. Anyway, long story short was I turned the job down. I wasn't interested. Dealership was doing great. I didn't have any reason to um, go anywhere else. And uh, the economy in 2008 kind of took a dive, and I ran out of inventory for my car dealership, and the phone rings, and it's uh, Matt Jim Bruno from Tesla Motors uh, calling back and see if I was interested in that job. And I thought, well, you know what? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Been reading up on you guys, which I hadn't. Been reading up on you guys. I really look like I'd be, be entertained the, the, the idea of coming to work for you, and I'll take that free trip to San Carlos. So that's what I did. What were those early days like for you? Like, what was your first day? What did they have you do? If, you, uh, if you're at a stoplight and you just mash your foot to the floor and you spin the tires and eventually you get the car straightened out, that's kind of like the first days of Tesla. Really? You literally were running as fast as you could run. You're on an airplane. You know, somebody would call you, hey, where are you today? That's kind of one of the famous things was where are you? We actually, my team would use, uh, we used Facebook messenger for private messages between my entire team whoever was working with me because if we did email then somebody could read the email or whatever but if we had something going on that we wanted to get done um behind the scenes we would just use facebook messenger chat that way with everyone oh and so at the time it was just the roadster that was being sold correct this is before the model s came out just the roadster and like there was the one prototype which people don't really know this but the original tesla Model S prototype was actually an S500 Mercedes that had been lengthened and a Roadster drivetrain was stuck in that model, uh, that uh, S500. It was the first Model S. It was white and it was maroon and I don't know what colors it, all the cars that car became. What was your first impression of the Roadster when you it first started working with so Tesla? I was actually driving a Ferrari 360 at the time and I was just, uh, I went to work 
for Tesla, and I went to went to San Carlos to drive um, for the interview, and they gave me a ride in one of these cars. I instantly realized that you have power right out of the hole. As soon as you mash the throttle, you can take off, and you can you know the cars just. Shoo! The difference between that and a Ferrari or a gas engine car was you have to wait for the RPMs to come up so you get the torque pattern and then you get up into the torque curve and then you actually had power. So a Ferrari 360, you were doing 70 miles an hour in first gear before the car actually had any real real power. A Tesla Roadster is has power right off the bottom. It's the same as turning on a blender. It's instantly on and they're just fast. They're quick. Did you, did you take the job for Tesla before having driven the car? I did, actually. Really? I never even saw one. Sad unseen, really. I had never seen a Roadster when I took the job. How good was their offer that you were willing to... Because I know your car business was, was somewhat going... Wasn't wasn't going as well as you would have liked, but how good was their offer as a company who, at the time, wasn't doing that well either? They were just getting themselves off the they ground. They were very competitive. You know, they kind of felt me out. You know, I, I now I look back on that, yeah. and I and I think about what Matt... The questions Matt Giambrano asked me. And, you know, they were feeling out what your price point was. And, what, and you know what? They made me a very fair offer. And at the time, you know, I came from the car dealership industry. And the health insurance you have at car dealerships, is it's worse than not having insurance. I mean, you'll spend $2,000 a month per person and then have a $6,000 deductible before you can even start using the insurance. It was just awful. And so I go to work at Tesla. And my my even my or, uh, medications were $5. It's the best insurance I'd ever heard. So there was a lot of perks that came with Tesla, and they gave us a lot of stock options to start with. I mean, they gave us 40,000 options, um, some of us, wow. to, to start higher on. It was funny. They uh, talked about um, right after I was hired, people, I was like, yeah, I just went for Tesla, worked for Tesla. I'm so excited. And then people said, like, they just went through a layoff. I'm thinking, oh, wow, that sucks. But that's when they ousted uh, Martin Eberhard and a bunch of other people, right, in, in yeah. October of 08, right when they were calling me to hire me. Right. Can you say what exactly the offer was and the decision and, like, why you decided to do that instead of however much you were making I, I basically took a 40% pay cut to go mm-hmm. to work at Tesla. The offer was 120000 or maybe it was 125, I think, and then it was 40000 or twenty. It was 40,000 options, and then they did a reverse split right before the IPO which made them 20,000 options, but still that's a lot of money. It wasn't at the time because my strike price was 90 cents. Oh, no. Your strike price Wait. was 90, 90 cents? 90 cents was my strike price. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was like, at, at 90 oh, cents, who's going to take them seriously? I mean, because I surely wasn't. I mean, like, I was. I love the job, but I didn't take the, <laughs> At 90 cents, who cares? 40,000 options. Well, I got $40,000, whoop-dee. You know, that's all it was back then, but that's $50 million today. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So <laughs> what did you do with those options? Well, um, I kept them, and then I went through a divorce, and the uh, divorce lawyer uh, convinced the judge that the Tesla was going to go out of business in 2013, and they sold them all. No. At $38 a share. Exactly what somebody else is, that Somebody else mentioned $38 a share. Yeah. Oh, my so they sold gosh. sold them all to pay the attorney fees. That's yeah. the most expensive attorney I think oh. I've ever. Oh, yeah. But it, was yeah. All, it was, you know, like, whatever, sixty grand or something at the time, but now that's $50 million. <laughs> I actually did some research to see if I had a case against the lawyer, but I don't. Even though he made a, he convinced the judge that the, they were going to go out of business and we we're going to have to sell the stock to pay his lawyer fees. Yeah, I'm. How often does that keep you up at night? I mean, at this point, you can't do anything other than just like the, the absurdity of it. Well, the good news oh is, my gosh. I met you and I met a lot of great yeah. people through these cars. The bad news, I've been, I've been retired. I had bought myself a helicopter and been on some island that I owned, and you didn't, yeah, nobody ever seen me again. But now, here's the thing, too. Is we're also assuming that you would have held through all the boom yeah, and bust right. cycles, right. and because a lot of people say that with like, oh, I bought Bitcoin when it was ten dollars, and now it would have been worth all this money. Realistically, a lot of those people would have sold at a hundred or a thousand, yeah. and you know, and it, it, let's say if that hit ten million dollars, I mean, at that point, it's like, well, I may as well ten million dollars. 
but goes to I, show just how far Tesla's come. I don't really sell anything. Like, I have a bunch of Lucid stock, a bunch of Rivian stock as yeah. well. I don't really sell anything. I just like to buy it, and then if I can afford it, and if I can afford to lose the money, I'll buy it. Yeah. And then I just, then I just forget about it and don't think about it. So your initial uh, offer was 120 and then you obviously, I'm sure, continued on this Tesla journey. What was it like over the next couple of years working at Tesla, and how did your position in the company scale? It was the most fun job I've ever had, and I'll tell you why. Um, first off, you have a new, you have a new topic. You have electric cars, and it's a sport car, and it's fun, and it's fast, and you get past all the mocking. You know, well, where do you put the gas? You know, all that stuff. And that was the early on, and that, but it became fun because. You're working with the best people if, you know, for example, the way I was hired, I had like six or seven interviews and every one of those persons could have kicked me out, said I wasn't capable or, or, or the right person, right fit. But then I went through all those and then I had to interview with Elon as well. And I interviewed with Elon and he asked me customer service stories. You know, what was, what was your best customer service experience? What was, you know, this, what was that? And then, uh, so I got the job based on what they had learned right then. And then the other aspect of the job was I actually had worked with a guy in 1998 here in Seattle, and he was one of my final interviews there, and, and I didn't recognize him. And he looked at me, and he, the guy's 6'5"-ish, black belt in jiu-jitsu, you know the type of guy I'm looking at. You know, it's like a dark cloud in the doorway. And uh, he's standing in the doorway, and he goes, I'm not going to interview this guy. I thought, well, had a good trip. See you later. And uh, it ended up being that um, he was the guy that I had helped out at a dealership. We had both got dropped in a dealership basically got lost our jobs at other dealerships and both ended up this dumpy water. I mean, it rained inside. It's hard to rain outside. It was a really bad deal. It's called University Ford. It's gone now. But we were both getting cheated by our group leaders because there was each side of the shop had a different group. And, you know, we kind of teamed up as friends and, you know, I never saw him again. He needed a ride. The last time I saw that guy, Jameson's Cummings, actually, the last time I saw him, he needed a ride to go pick up his motorcycle and motorcycle shop. Well, that dealership sold and they closed it almost all right after we started there. So he went his separate way. He went back to California and I went did something else, and then here I run into the guy at the interview at the at the uh, Tesla Motors. It's a little bit weirder that interview went because the guy that was the director of service at the time, Greg Zangi, was also the past. I don't know if he's a world guy for Ducati, and I in nineteen uh, two thousand and one, I had a Ducati nine 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 sixteen that the bolts on the bike were all corroding, and Ducati says, "Oh, oh, you know that that was one of six bikes that was shipped from Italy without the silica packs in the in the bag." So they said, "Well." You know, we're going to get, we're going to take your bike. So this guy flies from New Jersey, which I think is completely crazy. He comes to my house, which I think is even crazier. He takes my bike. Don't meet the guy. Don't see the guy. I'm at work. Calls me up two days later, said, I'm not getting my bike back. And I'm thinking, what's up with this? So he goes, oh, you know, we're going to buy you a new bike. We're going to give you a new bike. So I went down to Seattle, Ducati, and there my new bike was sitting. Brand new bike, no charge to me. And they did that. So Greg Zengi asked me to tell the best customer service story he, I had ever had. So I tell the story about how Ducati, and I still don't have an understanding why Ducati did all this. Greg Zengi was Adam Fawcett's boss. Greg Zengi is the person who made the decision to give me that new Ducati, and I didn't even know the guy. Wow. So years later, I run into Jameson Cummings and Greg Zengi, which I never met Greg before. I run into these two. They're, they interview me at Tesla. Hmm. So it was just like the stars aligned. Yeah, stars aligned, yeah. and here we are. And you got interviewed by six people, you said? Uh, at least six. And one of those was Elon? One of, yeah, the last person was what Elon. What was that like? It was fun. He's a really nice, he's actually yeah. a really good guy. I mean, he's incredibly smart, so he's intimidating in that, yeah. that regard. But if you look at him based on his kids, the guy loves his kids. He loves his family. He's a good dad, and he's just easy to talk to. We had just had, we just had a conversation, and I got the job. And 
that's after the whole PayPal thing. So he was, I mean, you already knew who he was and everything. He knew who he was, but he was still, um, if you look at the pictures, he, uh, he uh, was young, a lot younger. Yeah. And uh, you know what? He had some very, for a guy who's not from the car industry and never worked at a car dealership, he had some very good questions. And uh, I answered all of his questions and somehow. What were some of the questions? Uh, just basically like a customer service, you know, what are the, what are the, some of the pitfalls you've uh, experienced in the service industry, you know, what did you do to overcome those kinds of things? And he asked me questions of basically what was the problem and how did you solve the problem? I think he was trying to figure out what my problem uh, solving processes were like. And then I, um, you know, I told him about, cause I had the highest customer satisfaction in the world at the Lincoln Mercury dealerships I worked at. I beat out four or we did, I don't want to take credit for everything cause I had a nice team. We, uh, I managed a team that we beat out 4,700 other dealerships worldwide for customer service from Ford. They gave me a trip to Cosmo. They were trying to co-op me. They gave me a trip to Cozumel and a trip to Maui and a bunch of other stuff. How do you get so good at customer service? Like, Graham has to practice this with his courses. Like, let's say someone mm. requests a refund. Graham's really good. He's like, hey, I'll give you a refund. Oh, always, yeah. a 21-day window. He's very good at that. But how do you get to that next level of customer service? I know you gave the example of the Ducati guys who just came, picked it up, and gave you a new one. But what do you do yeah. that's so special? Yeah, how do you prevent getting taken advantage of? Because sometimes there there are those circumstances where you know it's, you know, false, and you, you don't want to be taken let's just say i probably do that a little bit different than you would imagine yeah okay so the reality is i already know people who are getting take nice guys i've been a nice guy my whole life i've helped a lot of people i'm not bragging about that i'm just saying i do so you kind of get the signs you get the you know i already knew they were going to take advantage of me but i let them do it anyway sometimes and then i'll just tell them about it you know i already knew that your ac condenser wasn't damaged and i already knew from the paint on your front bumper that we didn't do this and the car was wrecked after it was here but we're going to go ahead and take care of that anyway and then they just feel like complete dirt because they caught in a lie. And half of them, uh, when, most of the time when I call them out, they'll pay for it. Wow. But I do it in a nice way. I do it. I don't try to humiliate them. It's, oh, maybe it was an honest mistake, you know, when I know it's So you let people get away with lies or, and deception. You just do your job, chug away. And then, of course, you know, you mention it to them, but it tends to work in your favor. Yeah, it always works in my favor. Usually when you're just straight with people. people we're just seeing everybody's adults, right? If you can just have it, you know, there's, I read a book a long time ago called Difficult Conversations. So you just got to have them. You just got to be respectful. No name calling. You know, don't make any accusations. Hey, this is what happened. This is what I found. Oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot I ran into the back of that semi-truck and, you know, wiped my car off with the windshield. It was an honest mistake, you know. Just made all that up. But the, the truth is, <laughs> you catch you catch them, and what are you supposed to do? You can't, you don't want to ruin your future business, mm -hmm. right? I also read another book called Customer for Life. And it was an old dealership book back in the 90s. But you know what? Every customer was for life. You treated them like, you know, you may lose this time, but you're going to gain next time. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things we do here. We just, sometimes we lose. Now, the community, I've noticed, is very tight. And you've been describing these cars as like, oh, that's number 245, and that's this one. You know, every car by number with their owner. Yep. And you were explaining something that I found really interesting. Uh, linking up two customers together, two owners of the Roadster together who have never met each other, who are trading their cars basically temporarily to drive one back to the other, who have never met. So a really strange coincidence here today, which doesn't happen ever, um, before is we have Vins 905, which is the car you just purchased, and we have Vin 906 here. We also have Vin 687 here, which is the the Vin number directly after the car that's in space, which is Vin 686. A guy called me. One of the cars is from a really small town in, in Canada. So a guy called me this morning while we were chatting it up, and I went outside to take the phone call. The guy called me up and he goes, look, I've got this car in the city, and I don't know how I'm going to get it to you because I'm going to leave for a couple of months, and I don't know how to get it back either. And I said, well, that's funny because we've got a car here from that same town. you got to keep in mind, this is a very small town. Mm. 
and in Canada. So we've got a car here from that same town. Let me get a hold of that guy and see if he can drive your car down and take his back. So I got the th- a three-way phone call, made it happen. And these, nobody, nobody had ever met each other before. <laughs> and you know what? That guy, the other guy's handing his keys to this guy because he's going to bring his car down and swap it for his own. This is a really tight community. I, I, I would imagine that any roadster owner could go to any country in the world and get whatever they needed. They need a ride? No problem. I guarantee somebody will come get them. That's just, this How many roadsters were made? 2,500, 2,450 is about. Okay. The reason I can't say definitely was there were some production gaps and changes. Like some validation prototypes were built during production time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the six six there was a little bit. Of, so mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the number. And I'm not going to lie about it because I don't. I, I think right. there are people out who claim that they have the number, but I, was, I haven't actually seen the hard numbers. I want to see it in, in writing. Mm-hmm. Now, was this car developed when Elon Musk took over Tesla? During. During, okay. Before and during. Okay, so could you describe that, some of the history behind? So one of the yeah. one of the things, if you look at these cars, some of them early cars have a shifter, and yeah. the later cars have push-button drive. Okay, well, they needed to make, one of the reasons that Martin Eberhardt and Elon Musk didn't see eye to eye was build cost. Now, if you look at the connections on a 151015 version of this car, all the electronic connections are all military-grade, twist locks. They're even green, actually. And they're watertight. I mean, they're really the top of the top, right, of the best you could buy. So we needed a Elon, this was before my time, Elon needed to let, make the cars less expensive to manufacture. So they took out the shifter, which was an $1,800 savings. They took out the little tray, coin tray, which you don't have, and they took out and they added a glove box, plastic glove box, plastic tray, got rid of a big piece of aluminum that went across there. So anyway, they brought the prices down on these cars to they were a where they could break even on them and not lose because it was costing like one hundred and ten thousand just to build them, and they were selling them for ninety to one hundred and twenty five. The most highly optioned cars were one sixty. But so the early development of the Tesla, could you describe when Elon Musk took over Tesla? What was the company? The company was not selling. The company was doing events, showing the car, but they hadn't sold a bunch of them yet. They were on weak knees. We we're having trouble making payroll. You know. Uh, Tesla was, you know, in June of 2010, they shipped a bunch of us and probably 25 of us to, to the UK to go help put these cars together. So part of the problem with the Lotus factory was they had a break room that was about a 20-minute walk from the production floor, and they had to start their breaks when they got to the, is how we were explained, is they didn't get to start their break. The clock didn't start ticking on their break until they actually got to the break, which is a 20-minute walk. 20-minute there, 30-minute break, 20-minute back. What are you at, 30, 50, 70 Almost minutes, right? Yeah. For, for three breaks, so there's 240 minutes, 210 minutes that aren't being produ- produced in the, the uh, Lotus factory because these guys are always on break. So they sent us there, and we're all much flat-rate technicians, if you guys know what that means. You get paid by what you do, mm-hmm. and the faster you go, the more money you make. So all of us are old flat-rate technicians, so we go into the Lotus factory, and we start making waves. And they basically said, take off your Tesla jackets. We don't want you here. So they, they wanted to kick us out of the factory, but, you know, the powers that be, I'm assuming Elon at the time, you know, were kicking them back in the line and saying, no, no, they're, they're going to work on those cars. And there was a guy, I don't want to mention his name, uh, Glenn. Uh, one of us went around. So these cars were all painted with uh, in pieces, and there, were, there was masking tape on the backside of every one of these panels or permanent marker written on the back of every one of these panels. And they would put the cars together in whatever they were. But the guys at Lotus were actually hiding parts because they were pissed off at us because we were getting the cars out. They were hiding the parts. So a guy named Glenn, he goes around the factory, and he finds a hood that we needed for a car to put it together. It's got the VIN number written on the hood. So we put it on the car. They came back the next morning and had an explosion. They were so mad at us for, you're stealing parts. You're doing this. You're doing that. It's like, there are parts. Not stealing anything. 
<laughs> we're just doing what we're here to be paid to do. So I, I think the only reason Tesla survived was all those guys who went to the UK. There was, I, I would say there's probably 10 different events that made Tesla barely survive. And we, you know, that was the A-team. You worked at Tesla in the early on, you were the best there was, period. How long did you stay with Tesla for? I stayed there until 2013. What happened then? Decided to leave on your own? Uh, no, I got fired. I uh, Basically, I um, my boss was going out of his way um, to make sure that we were not getting the cars out the door. He, um, backing up to March of 2012, I had sent out a, I had sent out an email to uh, all, everybody in service, um, but and parts, I need to know what your last service, Ranger service, this mobile service visit, how long it took. From the time you picked up the phone until the time you, you know, parked the vehicle and you were done with that, that deal. And it became, it came, it was nine hours per car for, for a Ranger to come take the phone call, get the parts, load the van, go to the car, come back. It was nine hours. So what happened was we didn't get to staff. So we're down at the factory setting up for the 2012 Model S's, a lot of us, and the cars were coming off the line. It's a disaster like I just described to you. And we didn't have anybody to, because there was no staff, there was no extra staff anywhere that we needed staff. I ended up pulling 32 people from all over the world. I was spending basically $100,000 a month at the uh, Fremont Marriott Hotel to uh, house these people and to feed them. And I got in trouble for feeding these guys. And he goes, they need to take a break. And I said, they don't want to take a break. He goes, well, legally they have to take a break. And I said, I know. And legally they're taking a break. He goes, well you need to make sure that every one of those guys goes out and eats and be and gone an hour. Well, keep in mind, we need to have 4,000 cars out and we were working hundred hour weeks. So for us to stop and eat three meals a day was just going to kill three or 400 of those cars getting out the door. And we, we barely made it. We were there until midnight on the 2012 to get that 4,000 car out the door. We didn't have any extra time. So I was buying food on my company credit card to feed everyone. And I was spending like 300 bucks a lunch to feed everybody. We were buying like banquet buffet yeah, type sure. stuff. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't too expensive. I got in trouble for that because he told me that they could, they had to go down and eat. And it was basically a way to, to nail me on my company credit card. But first, we got to thank our sponsor, Storyblocks. Guys, we've been using Storyblocks for about two years now, and I mean it when I say it has helped the workflow of this business tremendously. Mm. Storyblocks is a subscription service that gives you instant access to millions of high-quality, royalty-free HD and 4K footage, templates, images, sound effects, you name it. I cannot tell you the countless hours I've literally just wasted looking for the perfect stock footage or sound effects for my edit. Well, with Storyblocks, that is no longer an issue. I've been able to reinvest this time I've saved from Storyblocks blocks back into my creative visions and to make content that I'm truly proud of. And whether you're a part of a large media company or just trying to jumpstart your next creative passion project, Storyblocks is the perfect solution. With their flexible and scalable subscription plans, you could start creating content with the tools you need without having to worry about a budget. Plus, their unlimited all-access plan lets you download unlimited assets from all three of their libraries. Guys, seriously, we've been loving and using Storyblocks for about two years now, and we are so excited that they reached out to sponsor us. Creative Burn Burnout is a real thing, and creative inspiration does not have to be so taxing. Learn more about how you can take your editing to the next level when you visit storyblocks.com slash ICH. Again, that's storyblocks.com slash ICH, or you could just use the link down below in the description. Thank you so much, Storyblocks, and back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. And then the second thing that happened was there was a car in, in uh, Hawaii that was all scratched up. It was delivered to Hawaii all scratched up. But the car was sold in Seattle, so I actually ended up knowing the lady. And then when I got promoted, I found out that that lady had never driven the car because it had been sitting at Kona, Hawaii, all scratched up. So my oldest son had just gotten married, and I went to my boss. I said, hey, you're only giving me $500 total to detail this car. Nobody in Kona, Hawaii is going to detail this car for 500 bucks. They won't do it. And, you know, she lives in Las Vegas part-time, and she lives in Kona, so she can't get the car there. What should we do? 
I'll figure it out. It's your problem. So uh, an email came to me from somebody way high up at Tesla and said, fix the problem. Because mm. this lady had contacted Elon. Wow. And so somebody downhill had yeah. gotten the message. I was told to go to Hawaii. So I went back to my boss and, and my boss said, I don't care what he says. You're not going to Hawaii for more than $500. I said, we need to take care of this lady. She's in her third year of owning this car and she still has not been able to drive it because it's so scratched up. So we got approval on an email exchange for $500. So they would, Tesla would pay one way of that flight of the trip to Kona because he was going there for his honeymoon if he would detail the car for free. So we shipped all the chemicals, the buffer, the polisher, everything we needed to take care of a car, wet sandpaper, no matter how bad it was. My son goes there before he goes on his honeymoon. He fixes this lady's car. She's raving about us. She loves, the, I was just so happy. My boss looks at me and he goes, you're not going to live through this. Like what? You authorized this? He goes, no, I didn't. So I got fired. He told HR that I, that, that trip was not authorized. We got fired, both of us, within about two minutes of each other. We got no. fired for an unauthorized trip to Hawaii, and the truth was, so I told Tesla's uh, legal, I said, look, I won't sue you if you'll go and read my email and that that guy's thread, because I, I had a folder just for this guy. It was so bad in my Outlook. And I said, if you'll read that folder for an hour a day for a week, at the end of the week, you tell me what you found or whatever you, whatever you say to me, but at the end of the week, we'll ca- talk again. And if you feel like that everything is as it should have been, no problem. I'm not going to sue anybody, but I just want I want you to read it so you know where I was coming from and to know that that was a legitimate trip. Yeah. So they did that, and the guy got demoted three times, but he still kept his job. So that's how I got fired at Tesla was being lied about. Wow. It was, it was cutthroat back there because Tesla had gotten this feet on the ground. They had already created a, a massively good service team. These guys were the best yeah. of the best nationwide, worldwide. I mean, still these guys are A players everywhere. I mean, a lot of these guys have gone to Lucid. They're the top dogs at Lucid and Rivian now in other places because they were so good. So Tesla Legal, uh, two uh, lawyers, uh, read that uh, folder, and uh, I never got my job back. I probably could have. Um, At that time, I was too pissed off. Why weren't they fixing your car? Why would they do that to you? Like, what's the the motive? So the, the, the first thing was I was sent to Santa Monica before this promotion that I got to fire the Santa Monica service manager because this guy, my boss, didn't like him. So I, he used me as his hatchet man. They fired him, and Bob had told me, the guy's name was Bob, that guy had told me that he'd been trying for two years to get somebody to Hawaii, but they wouldn't let him take anybody. They wouldn't give him a budget to do it. So my boss had been for two years to mess with my the guy that I had to terminate just to mess with him. He was making that lady pay. That's the kind of guy he was. He just, he's doing that everywhere. Oh, why? He's just that guy. How did you fall into doing this? Was this right after you got fired, you decided you wanted to get into Roadsters? No, actually, yeah. strangely enough, the guy yeah. that called while we were having lunch, yeah. um, David Vaskovich, a uh, close friend, actually, uh, he called me and said he wanted to get his roadster working. He goes, nobody's working on my car but you. And then he talked to another guy and then another guy, and, you know, eventually we have all of them. Not all of them, but there's wow. there's 37 of them here, I think, today. Was that legal for you to work on a Tesla car after working for them, like, on the side? They sued me. They tried to sue me and yeah. basically wrote, go after yourself on the envelope, send it back. I never heard another word about that. Really? Yeah. Well, they tried, originally tried to say I wasn't qualified. Yes. And then what they didn't know was I was one of the one of the people that were certifying body shops at the time. I mean, there were there was the main guy that did it, but occasionally, you know, there'd be an outlier, right? So I, here's my signature on the bottom of this form, right? So I have the body shop certification form, and I was like, so if I'm incompetent to work on the cars, how was I competent enough to train the people to work on the cars? How did that work? And then they're like white as ghosts, and that was it. 
that was the end of my conversation with Tesla Legal. And what do you think the issue was? That they didn't want someone who wasn't within their organization working on the car? Or they were just trying to stamp this car out and get rid of it? It was, the, it was all based on how I was terminated, right? I was terminated for stealing, right? So they don't want somebody with that credibility problem working on their car. So that's why they went after me. The truth was I never stole anything. And that was proven later. But I think the legal team just figured that I was every. I think they assumed that what HR did and what this guy did was legal because HR did it right. Mm. You know, and they didn't. She didn't. The lady didn't check anything. Nobody verified. I even asked her in front. My my laptop was a foot from where she was sitting to fire me. I asked her to look at that email. No, no, it's already been, it's already been made. Mm. She wouldn't do it. Jeez. So you started off with one customer, one car. Where were you doing the work from? I have another business about 1.3 miles from here. Right okay. now we're building street rods out of there. Yeah. Building electric street rods. Gosh. Okay. You started with that. Word of mouth. How long did it take you to get something like this? We were, it's, it's kind of funny how this happens. So the owner of this building is also the owner of my other building. He owns a tow company, Stan's Towing. So Stan um, retired eventually. This was a warehouse where they stored. This, this building did not have water, sewer, or power in it. There was one, two outlets in the ceiling with two light bulbs. That's all was in here. It was used for storing wrecked cars and, and impounds. That's all this was for. And uh, so the owner of this, this uh, property said, you know, you've always been good to me. How about, you know, you want to use that warehouse? Like I looked at this place and, you know, we used 30 gallons of degreaser because this had never had water. It would never been clean. It was an oil, before it was his, a tow yard, it was an oil storage depot for uh, home oil for like furnaces and stuff. It was oil all over in here. It was disgusting. So you just couldn't even walk in without getting dirty. But he gave it to me because it was so bad for $1,300 a month on an, a really long lease. And I thought, for $1,300 a month, I'm going to rip this place apart and put everything new. That's what I did. It cost me $60,000. I had an estimate from a contractor for 400000 to do what you see here. Yeah. And it was 60000 in parts and labor because I hired all the homeless to... You know, I found out, kind of chatted up with the homeless to find out which ones used to work for in construction right. stuff. I hired them, paid them cash every day. They loved it. Wow. And now we're, uh, they've gotten back on their lives. They're back on their, back on their feet. And they're off doing other things now. And so when Tesla sells a car like this, do they agree that they'll always be available to service the car? Or how does that work? It used to be a federal law that people yeah. had to manufacture had to supply parts for 10 years. They're, that law, I don't think, uh, is in existence anymore. And the Magnuson Act, where right to repair doesn't really really qualify either i mean if you have one of these cars in your name tesla legally has to sell you parts but if they don't have it they don't have it and they don't have an inventory parts for these cars i mean every time i call yeah. them zero so what happens if i take this the tesla service center and i say I call service, they would really most most of the time we've had um i can't i don't want to say the states yeah. but we've had because it'll get these guys in trouble we've had several you know a smart manager Smart technician knows when they're over their head. Instead of getting buried in the car and wasting time with the other cars they need to get out, like a Model 3s or a Model X or Model Ys or Plaids or whatever, getting out the front door, they automatically just call and we ship the cars to us. Mm. So there's a couple guys that are pretty sharp about that. They realize that it's going to cost them money and time to fix a car they don't know anything about, so they don't do it. Now, I've heard stories about Tesla making offers to buy customer cars to then part out. They do. So if I took this car into a service center, would they make me an offer or would they just call you and then if nothing could be done, they'll just think, how does that work? It's, it's a multi-layered conversation. So okay. they would, you'll take it in for service and if you acted like you wanted to sell it or trade it in, they would give you a trade-in value for this. Okay. But they're not paying very much. They've been paying, like like the yellow car that they yeah. brought out, they paid like 35000 for that car. Jeez. 
Why are they parting out cars? Like, why do they want to decrease the amount of cars? So they threw away. Decreasing the cars decreases the amount of parts that they'll need in the future, right? And so they parted out 53 cars, basically because they owed people batteries, 3.0 battery (laughs) upgrades, and they didn't have any. They didn't have any battery cases or anything. And the people who made this battery case originally, like the black case right there, the people that made that case, that was a that was a barbecue manufacturer that made that case for Tesla. So they're not going to do it again. And so there wasn't any. So they had to, to fulfill their requirements, their legal requirements for the 3.0 battery packs. They had to part out at least a few of the cars to get exchanged battery packs to get started. They could put new sheets in the batteries and new wow. stuff. But that's why they bought, I don't that and they don't have any parts. So early, early on, they threw away $13 million worth of parts, or that's what I was told. And now they need an inventory of something. I mean, if they're going to work on the cars, they have to have parts too. So how many Teslas yeah. do you have? We own 12 and probably eight parts cars. What's the total worth of all of your Teslas currently? And what was it like three years ago? Three years ago, 12 Teslas would have been worth $500,000 tops. Now they're probably worth $2 million, I would think. And what's your prediction for the the future value of these cars? I feel like if, you know, obviously it's such a tough question to answer, but if anyone's going to have a a good estimation. If you look at history, you look at Shelby Mustangs, Ford GTs, AC Cobras, Z28 Camaros, you look at the, anything that's rare and low production and a gearhead can get their arms wrapped around their mind wrapped around it, they're going to buy it. They want to buy it. But as far as the values of these cars, you know, as long as they're still drivable, you know, these are going to be, I would say in five years, going to be a bunch of these in museums. You know, I had a pretty famous person bring me their car about a year ago and say, look, I don't want this thing. I don't want to sell it. You know, this guy's worth billions. And he just said, I don't want it anymore. What's the cheapest you ever bought a Roadster for? And I said, the cheapest I ever bought one for was $10,000. He goes, well, that's what you're going to pay for mine. And I said, ah, I, I, that's not fair to you. And he drove it here. Right, so wow. I'm thinking a billionaire drove their Tesla yeah. last year, and uh, I said, uh, "What do you What are you thinking?" He goes, 10 grand. Write me a check for ten grand. What's your paying for it?" He goes, "Get rid of this car. It's worse than having a yard sale to me. You know, it's just I got to drive it around and find a home for it." And he goes, "And I thought of you, and you know what? This is the home." Was there anything wrong with it? No, just had a new battery well, put on it. What goes on through your mind just like acquiring like the tenth one, the eleventh one, the twelfth one? Like, is there any desire to continue buying these cars, or is it just the idea of, of buying them? You just want more. I want all of them. And is there any part in your mind that's like, okay, you know, if I buy this car, I can hold on to it. It'll be a good investment and I can sell it in the future for a better price. Or is it just like, you know, opportunity comes up. Sure. Why not? I'll just get my, you know, we, we often, we often run ourselves down to $0 around here. Um, we have, we have all this because everything is, we don't have any debt. The only debt we have is whatever's on the credit card from this month right now. That's the only debt this company has. So what we do is we take our profits and we buy parts cars or other cars. And right now, there are two cars coming up, which is part of the reason I sold this car. There are two cars coming up for me to buy for screaming deals. I could triple my money on them, so I buy them. One thing that's interesting to me is that you would expect electric cars, especially like since this was one of the first ones, uh, to have so many issues. What are some of the most common issues that you find in, in the original Tesla Roadster? The most common issue is people let it, not plugging in and letting it go dead. So every other Tesla has the ability to restart charging if the car, if you have a power outage, mm-hmm. power goes off. If you stop the charging on one of these cars, it will not restart. You have to go back and restart it. And if you don't do that, three months later, the battery's dead. That's the biggest problem, but it's self-inflicted. As far as uh, the car's braking, the PEMS, the power electronic module, is that's what controls the... AC to DC voltage and all that stuff, that that component wears and some of the electronic components age out and we repair those. 
That's the biggest thing. So how do the batteries die like that? Like if you don't plug it in, what's how quickly do you have to get it back? And when is the point of no return? Uh, when you hear, if you ever walk by this car and yeah. it goes beep, 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 it's a very distinct, that car's killing itself. Really? That's the final warning before it actually shuts the whole car down and says this battery's smoked. Graham posted on his Instagram story asking for short, quick questions that we can ask our very special guest today. So we're going to get on to Instagram rapid fire question and answer. Okay. Uh, are you going to buy the new Roadster when it comes out? No. Why? Too expensive. I'll build one. All right. Let's see. What do you dislike about the Roadster? That I don't have more of them. <laughs> if you could say something, though, that, like, something that could be improved. Uh, all the things that could be improved on those cars, we have improved. Like, the suspension was awful. It handled awful. In a corner, you throw one of these things into a corner, you better just pray. <laughs> but now we've changed. We've changed all the shucks and the valving and the springs, and we have that all dialed in. I think it was the one thing that uh, I would tweak on these cars is the suspension. What was the lowest VIN you've ever worked on? I worked on Elon's car, VIN too. Really? Why did you work on Elon's car? Well, he left it at the, uh, I don't know how this happened, but he left it at the Fremont Marriott Hotel and he wanted it brought back or brought someplace and I, I, ended, up, I ended up moving the car. It, that car had its own group of people. Hmm. What was that like working for Elon? It was fun. Yeah? You know, he's, he's an off, if, if Elon's micromanaging you, you're probably on your way out. Really? You know, because he hires good people, let them do their thing. He's smart, but he also knows how to hire smart people. Was he social in the workspace, or does he kind of keep to himself? He wasn't social at all. I mean, he would talk to you if he needed to talk to you, but he didn't just go BS with people at all. I mean, even in meetings, he was... Would he ever joke around or anything? I never saw it. So he was very, like, stoic and strict? He was very, very... I think he was very disciplined, What I how I would put it. I, You know, I stayed in the Fremont Marriott Hotel for almost six months straight while they were setting up the factory and stuff. And uh, Elon's kids stayed there, too. And, uh, you know, one of the respectful things that everybody at Tesla did, which I thought was just without even saying it, he had this old, if you go to the Fremont Marriott Hotel and you go in the front door and hard to the right, there's a bunch of little cubby you can sit back in the corner back there. That's where him and his kids went. And you know what? Nobody disrespected him. Nobody went over there and talked to him. When he was with his kids, nobody said a word. The place was quiet. Everybody catered to him, to his kids and him. And uh, it was just, I, I, I admire the guy for the way he took care of his kids. It was, uh, you know, that's the side of, that's the side of Elon that everybody, not everyone gets to see. Yeah, how is that? Because it seems like in a lot of the, the media that we see, he's, he's absent from his kid's life. And he's always working, and it seems like he's sleeping on the floors. Uh, did you see a different side? I actually saw him sleep on a desk once. Um, um, I deleted the photo. I should have kept the photo, but I deleted the photo huh. out of respect. I took the picture and then I yeah. thought, oh my God, you're going to get fired for this. So I deleted the photo. Yeah. But uh, he's a human being, right? I mean, he's got uh, hopes and dreams. And, you know, the what he say is the worst thing you could ever do in the, in the world is start a car company. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, he went from having an easy life. I wouldn't say it was easy, but, you know, being a car manufacturer and all those bottlenecks and stuff he had to work through, it's astonishing that he has gone this far. But he hires good people. Yeah. I mean, he really does hire good people. You think that's one of the biggest keys to running such a successful business is the ability to hire well i think it's the ability where i hire well but there's more to it than that so like everybody that i hired at tesla never got fired unless they got railroaded um the reality is to hire the right people for a position like it would be easy for you two to hire a videographer or somebody else because you have a lot of experience in that space for me it was super easy because i'd done every job at, a, at that you could possibly do in the auto repair industry so guy you know every time he's trying to bs me it's like come on yes give me the truth you know mm -hmm. the, but the, the truth is i could hire people because i knew what i was looking for i would hire somebody like i would hire a guy that was a, a ex-service advisor 
ex-service manager, ex-service advisor, ex-this, and I'd put him in a position of leadership so if his team got into trouble, he could go out and help them. And that's, so I hired one guy that could do four jobs. That was the key to hiring for me. And I, that's what I did. I mean, we called, our, we, they called our team, the Get, Get Shut Done team, the GSD team. Because I, all the people that were around me, I surrounded myself with, were all those same people. You just, all you just have to do is point the red one over there. And you never thought about it again. You never had to check on any of their work. Nothing, ever. Not once. The really good people is the best. It's the only way that he survived. Have you ever refused to service a roadster? Yeah, actually, I have. What was that story? We've had some problems with uh, people who feel entitled. You know, sometimes they'll come here and they think that, uh, you know, because they're worth $100 million and they've got that way by cheating everyone, that they think that the best way to handle that situation is to cheat me too, and I just cut them off. I don't oh. care who you are, I'll fire you. You're talking down to me or one of my kids or you're being disrespectful or you don't want to pay your bill, you're not a customer. You're definitely not a good customer, so why keep you? Is the new one ever going to get made? That's a good question. I'm going to say yes to that because I've never seen Elon not do what he said he was going to do. I don't know what the holdups are. Um, probably, I would assume it's sales would be a holdup, even though people like uh, a sports car. Two-door cars are the, the lowest sales of any manufacturer's cars. Sports cars, everybody likes sports cars. Everybody likes to ride in sports cars and drives them. But very few people, people can afford to buy them for a second, for a first vehicle. Yeah. Will it get built? I think it's going to get built. Probably 2023. I'm skeptical because he also promised to give so many of them away for people who did through the, you know, the referral program. I think he owes like 100 roadsters at this point. That might be an issue. Yeah, so I think that's going to be an issue. The other issue I see is that when he got rid of that program, he said that there was going to be a raffle. Every 30 days, depending on how many uh, referrals you bring in, you're going to have a chance to win a brand new Model Y. We're going to give away... You know, these cars, as far as I'm aware, he never did that. I never once saw anything that indicated he ever gave away a car. It's just kind of a knee-jerk reaction, in my opinion, because back when these cars, there was about then 600-ish range, whatever time period and in, in time that was, they weren't selling. Okay, so Tesla came up with the Bank of America lease program for these cars. So they a lot of some were leased, and that sounds like the same kind of yeah. gimmick to get sales up. I don't know if to be true, but... Yeah, That's what I would from what I've seen before. So I'm skeptical about the the roadster ever coming into production because I think by the time maybe it does, it's going to be outdated and they have to do it again and maybe bring out something I mean, different. How, how, yeah, I mean, how much? Not everybody needs a track car. I mean, a 10 second car like the Plaid is. I mean, it took 150, 200 thousand dollars to build one of those. If you wanted yeah. your own street car, that was a 10 second car. Yeah, but now you just go down and turn the key. But not everybody has those driving skills. I think if you're going to own a Plaid, you better go to school. Mm-hmm. I mean, because or taking those things off road, with, you know, they're fast. Yeah. What's the maintenance on this car every year? It has a six hundred dollar annual service, and uh, the funny story behind the annual maintenance on that car is about two thousand and nine. I would say May June ish. People were asking about how what was the service going to be? What was the annual maintenance going to be? And Tesla never even thought about a maintenance yet. Mm-hmm. So they created this service, which is really much a fluff. Six hundred dollar service that includes a wiper blade, and a bunch of testing, and a washer reservoir cleaned and you know it's just yeah, ridiculous stuff you can get yeah. in a quick lube right? right that's what the service and a bunch of measuring we did a bunch of high pot testing you know but that was those tests were needed for the first couple of years but these cars have proved themselves you don't need to do those testing anymore so what's the annual maintenance basically nothing resetting the light putting a wiper blade on checking the tires and you know basic overview you ever have plans to make a battery yourself where you could replace individual cells we actually duplicated this battery already can't get it out of the china tariffs but eventually you'd be able to That's just our goal. flop in a new battery. I was going to uh, so I was going to send email, Elon an email and ask him about that because if he's going to build the batteries for him, I don't want to. 
But if they're not going to build them, I'm going to. That blows my mind. So you just you just send Elon an email? Yeah. Just him? Yeah. Just casually? I'll send him an email. No, 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 no. No, no, not right now. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> you tell him to subscribe to the Iced Coffee Hour podcast. <laughs> Say, hey, uh, you might know Graham Stephan. He just bought the uh, Yellow Roadster. It's just Elon at Tesla. <laughs> That's it. Musk at Tesla.com. Musk at I Tesla. wouldn't be surprised if it's something. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Musk. Musk. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like really easy like that. Yeah. That's crazy that you could just casually say, hey, man, are you going to create on. the batteries? It gets better. Could you share your last text with Elon Musk? I still have all his contact on. No way. Is that his cell phone number? Is that like a, really? Yeah. No way he just answers that, though. I, I, he, I, this is, this is the same, he interviewed me on this phone, or on a, on a, he interviewed me, so I had his number. And we, everybody, Elon was, Elon used to even, t- in public, would tell people his email address, because he wanted to hear the, he wanted to hear the straight scoop from people. He doesn't like things being filtered or any kind of BS coming his way. He likes the truth. Why do you save his name as Elon Musk? Are you ever worried that, like, if your phone gets stolen or something happens, is someone like, because I, people I've think it's a joke. I mean, no, Alex's right? contact in your phone is Elon Musk. Oh, that is true. That is true. I literally have Alex saved in, in my phone as Elon Musk. I don't, that know. is funny. People aren't going to think, oh, the, this random yeah, yeah. phone I, I found on the street actually has Jack Elon and Musk's. Elon Musk. Like, no one's going <laughs> to think that. So I'd say he's fine doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's just a regular guy. You know, when you work with him, there's no celebrity status going on. It's it's like, I need that done in five minutes. And in four minutes, you hand it back to him and say, there you go. That's the way it was. He likes people to get it done. He doesn't He doesn't need to know me. I've contacted him once since I left Tesla. And what was that one time for? Uh, I was asking, I needed some parts. And uh, you know what? That I do was right before the first CNBC video in 2019. And the next week... They were selling me parts mm. that fast. Mentioned it on the video, sent it to him in a message. The next thing I know is Carl Melix buying parts from Tesla. I'd went three years with no parts at all. Nothing. So cool. Is there anything else you could tell us uh, from your experience working with Elon? Um, you don't argue with him. When Elon makes, when Elon stands up at the end of a meeting and says, this is the direction we're going to go, you better get out of your chair and you better head that direction. Whatever the direction that is, you better go. Because he's not one for people back talking. He'll just let you go. He was gone. And I saw, I actually saw that happen, actually. Would you ever see him just straight up fire people on oh, the yeah. spot? I saw him fire somebody. We were we were in a meeting, and uh, it was early on at Tesla, and they were trying to convince people, this person was trying to convince people that um, they needed service centers in these locations, these locations, these locations. And Elon said, well, we're going to do this. And that person kept talking, and I never saw the person. That also happened during my interview. One of the people that interviewed me, I never saw again. He's friends with me on Facebook. I didn't know he didn't work at Tesla until a year later because I didn't know anybody that worked at Tesla in the first place, right? So they're all new faces to me. And so, so I go on, going through my interview list. I'm like, I took notes, right? Go my interview. Like, what happened to this guy? He got fired. As soon as he walked out of the door from interviewing me, they canned him. That's the way it worked. You know what he said? And ask. <laughs> I'm just so curious. What he do? So I was out. What do you do? He kept I talking. I didn't want to rub, rub off on me, so I was out of there. Huh. I think the Elon Musk stuff is is. So it's it's so different to hear about it. It's so detached from what we're doing. Yeah, it's like you constantly are hearing about Elon Musk. Obviously, we idolize him because he runs the biggest company. You know, he's seems like a great guy doing so much. What happened, by the way, to the uh, Tesla shop in Arizona? 
that burned down. I really don't know. You know, I don't know the, the actual details. All I know is that shop burned in 2017, and then in October. You know, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to assume that they, the first fire was, you know, lithium ion doesn't burn up by ga- like sparks. That doesn't do anything to a lithium ion. But if you heat a lithium ion battery with a, like a air dryer or a heat gun, you know, it's thermal runaway. That's what you're talking about. So when that, once that thermal runaway, have you ever watched a video on thermal runaway? You probably should. It's scary. It's, it'll scare you. They'll go from zero, uh, you know, whatever the ambient temperature is in the room to 2300 degrees within a few seconds and uh that so what happens when one thermal runaway happens there's 6831 cells in this car right when one of them thermal runaways then it just keeps the rest of them run away and then you then it just tags every other car so my my thought was and i don't know but my thought was that they were charging a battery and it had a resistive cell in it recharging a sheet and it shorted and it created the heat you know resistance creates heat and then heat it combusted i think that's what burned the shop down but i don't know how do you prevent that from happening here well, we do a couple of things. Uh, number one, we don't even go across the streets to 7-Eleven with anything charging. We don't go anywhere with anything charging in this building. We don't charge at night. We don't. We have some safety protocols, and what we do is there's two people, like that car right there. We get turned off before it leaves. We leave. We just don't charge anything when we're not around. It's you know, it's just about being diligent and about being yeah. focused on what you're doing. Yeah, but what about for a homeowner? who charges this in their garage and they, they're out of town for a few weeks. So if the car will charge at all, they don't have any resistive cells. Okay. They'll, um, it'll, it'll avoid that brick or it will, um, that sheet will, the car will only charge up to a level that's safe. Mm. I don't think any one of these has ever burned up on its own. Okay. Not that I've ever heard of. I think it's important to recognize that anybody that drives one of these cars is somebody because look at what they had to pay. You, you, you guys have seen some of the names, right? So, what the other thing that's interesting is the community, the Facebook group for these cars is so tight. They're such a nice group of people. I bet you I could say, you know, I already know this to be true. I could fly to France right now and have a place to stay. I could go to Spain and have a place to stay. I go to the UK and play have a place. Anywhere in the world there's one of these cars, I could find a place to stay. They're just, the doors are open. They're just really nice people. You know, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of the Board 8 Yacht Club, you know, except, except it's the Tesla. Something it's like with real value. It's something with real value, guys. But it's like you that's the community, I think, behind the car. Yeah. And um there's so few of them made. Yeah. You know? But also I think what I thought was so cool is just just knowing what sort of people have owned these cars reminds me of like the Hollywood Boulevard Walk of Fame where you get the stars and you look down and it's like that person has a Tesla. Why? That's crazy. Graham Stephan. Graham Stephan has one. Again, now I got my star on the Hollywood <laughs> Walk of Fame, except with Tesla. What's your plan yeah. with it? Where are you going to put it? So this would go next to the Lotus, but that means I can't use that as a filming set. So either the Lotus or this have to swap around and uh, get a garage space. So I asked Alex, and I said, hey, Alex, you got an extra garage space. Alex lives close by. What if we made an agreement so it's free, but we can drive the Lotus? A, a set amount of miles per month. Oh, I'd get too paranoid. I, I would get too paranoid. You've seen me drive plus, stick before, man. Plus, it's Plus flawless. insurance, I know, but it's like, maybe what I'll do is I'll come over and I'll pull it out. What? Yeah. I'll tell you what. If you hmm. want to if you want to consider yeah. letting <laughs> your son Jack... Take out the Lotus on occasion, you know, have a little bit of fun. Then I would consider, you know, letting that park in my garage. I'd be open to it. Okay. Uh. And and damages. Uh, 50-50? <laughs> 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 there you go. 
Damn, damages we slid. Damages 50 50. Oh, shit. We got it on camera. What happened? What? Check what happened. I saw a screw. <laughs> right yeah. I don't, did you guys notice there was Yeah, I did. I was so curious so, where that was from. It was from Jack's chair. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I felt like... Oh, my it gosh. Good. You have liability insurance yeah. on this place? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, your neck hurts, yeah, right? I, mean, oh, I have a little bit of whiplash from that. The back, the back yeah. pain. <laughs> like thank be, you, thank uh, you. <laughs> Like my oh, like, yeah, I have oh PTSD gosh. now for sitting in chairs. <laughs> 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 I thought that was your screw pumping. Because yeah. the thing is, realistically, I'll have both cars in the garage. Yeah. Um, but just for filming, it yeah. would make sense to have yeah. something open and with Absolutely. a car in the background. And it would yeah. also make but, a lot of sense. You have someone you trust and you uh, care about. And you but, want them to have that 23-year-old experience. But but you got to compete now with How Alex. How old were you when you had your Lotus? Were you twenty three? <laughs> oh, were you twenty? I don't know. Yeah. You, you, can't, you, you guys, can't drive stick. You can guys got to. No, but I, would, I don't want. To but but Alex car. doesn't want to drive the car. No, that's the thing. But mine's free. Yeah, but Alex doesn't want to this drive guy's it. This one hell of so a negotiator. Yeah. I'd watch out. Carl, yeah. you tell me what you would do in this situation if you were Graham. Okay, free, one hundred and fifty dollars. Care, great care of the vehicle. I drive stick, very comfortably. Who knows? Who knows? But but he's not going to drive it. But he's not going to drive it. But yeah. free over here. I mean, what I would think. probably do is I'd offer to buy it from him, let him use it when he needs to. Oh no no! I don't want to sell. I can't sell the car. He's like, I, look at him. He's like, I it. just traded, cheated him. <laughs> uh, you see, can't I, sell it. Can't I sell actually it. Yeah. I wouldn't be opposed, but I can't have three cars. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you would. That's so you ridiculous. Three that cars. is so ridiculous. I guess when he puts the hammer down, that's when you guys know, huh? Graham, well, Graham doesn't put the hammer, put the hammer down. down. It's usually a, on price-related things. Yeah. It's usually if like they want me to buy something, like, no, we don't need it. Yeah. Uh, or like some business expense. It's usually business expense. I'm like, no, we don't need that. And Jack wants me to hire more people, and I'm just like, I, I don't like. I don't like to have an overhead. Yeah. I don't like making payroll. Sure, I want more people to help us out here, but the reality is, you know, that my kids want me to hire more people, but the truth is, these are going to run out eventually, right? I mean, why don't we just work at our pace that we're working at? We'll stay as a family business, and if we get too big, then we'll hire somebody. But right now, we're not too big. Yeah. People are just waiting, and they're not bitching. So when they start bitching, then I'll have to do something. Cool. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really yeah. appreciate it. Well, I think it's going to be fun. I, I, I can't wait to see what your spin on it is on this. Yeah, because Dan, I already know what Dan's going to do, right? And yeah. I, know, I know what MS, MSNBC is going to do. They're going to try to trick me, which they did in the first video. When what I was told, that? How? When I told Elon to go fuck himself. <laughs> so you were watching the first video? It's on the first I'm sure video. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, I told Elon. said, yeah, go fuck yourself. Why did you say that on camera? Well, because they, they yeah. well, I didn't know they were filming. They were, oh, okay. you know, because you don't know when they're there for three days. You don't know what you know. You're like, oh, we're just talking. That went right in the video. I didn't even know they were filming. Wow. Yeah, because they sent me that letter, the cease and desist, and all that stuff, and I wrote, "Go fuck yourself," and sent it back. And I've said that right on the video. So when people say, "Look, that's that's a great scene. It defines you perfectly," it's like, oh, God. <laughs> that's the definition of me. Carl, thank you so much for coming on. I'll link to all of your information down below in the description for anyone who wants to reach out, along with your Instagram, because you're good at getting back to uh, you're good at getting back to people on Instagram. Also, make sure to add us on Instagram, along with a free stock that you could get when you sign up for public using the code Graham. 
worth all the way up to a thousand dollars. Thank you, Carl, for Thanks. having us. Man. <laughs> we really appreciate, appreciate this. Right. This is in Seattle, so I don't know. I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but we are in. Oh, Seattle that's right. right we now. came all the way. Yeah, came all the way. We traveled. So growling day do for you guys on the I road. Fell off of a chair for you guys. Thank you so much for watching, and until next time.